morning. Uh, most of you know me. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here. And I am not the senior pastor because most of you <clears throat> know that our senior pastor has been sick for quite some time and uh, has been on medical leave. And uh, Lord willing, next week uh, the elders will have a little bit of an update for you about Josh because we told you kind of through July and so we want to give you an update of where he's at. We are encouraged just so you can kind of have a small level of detail. We are encouraged by what we see. There's still a long way to go. Um, but Josh, as of now, does expect to be coming back uh, in some capacity in August. And so we'll talk more about that uh, next week. But I do want to just say thank you uh, to you um, for letting Esteban and I pastor you. That's been very sweet. And especially to the older men that are here. Uh, you have two guys that are in their mid-30s that I, many of you are confessing sin to and being honest with, and so thank you very much. It's sweet to care for you guys, and we do not take uh, this responsibility lightly, but we are looking forward to having Josh back with us in some capacity. So continue to pray for him and for his family, and you can turn to Psalm 25. We're going to take a break from Galatians this morning, and we are going to be in Psalm 25. And for some reason, I printed my sermon on front and back, which I never do. So if I look really confused in the middle of the sermon, just remind me like it's on the back side, just because if I can't find my spot, because I'm probably going to try to go to the next page and be very confused with where we're at. But open your Bibles to Psalm 25. We're going to read through the whole thing. I'll pray, and then we will walk through this this morning. Psalm 25 says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my en enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who, wantonly who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of our salvation. For you I wait all day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not my sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offering shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn, me, turn, to me, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider, my, consider, how my many, consider how many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. 
O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May the integrity, may integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would comfort your people this morning. Father, we have many needs, and we need you greatly. You know the desires that are left unsatisfied in our hearts. You know the hopes that we have, that we continue to hope for. You know the needs that we walk with each day. Father, to you we turn, and we lift up our souls to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, we're going to walk through Psalm 25. And hopefully it'll just give you a sense of, you know, if you're reading your Bible, how can you read through your Bible and think through passages like this as you're thinking about them for yourself? And so let's start with verse 1. It starts with, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. And so the very first thing that David the psalmist does here is he makes clear where he's looking for help. Where is he lifting up his soul? Who is he putting his trust in? Lots of people in this world say they pray. Lots of people that aren't Christians say they pray. If you went and walked around to your neighborhood and asked, who prays? Many people who wouldn't even claim to be Christians necessarily would say that they pray from time to time. Lots of people pray. I don't know what percentage, but lots. But lots of people pray and are not actually praying. Lots of people are praying and not actually depending on God. They may be asking Him for help in a moment of prayer, but they're not trusting really in Him to help them find a solution. No, they are turning to themselves or to the world to find the solution. Maybe they pray quickly, but the prayer's over and they move on. Calvin says this, Nothing is more inconsistent with true and sincere prayer to God than to waver and gaze about as the heathen do for some, for some help from the world and at the same time to forsake God or to not betake ourselves directly to his guardianship and protection. So you start this morning off. If you want to find help from God, you must look to him and to him alone. Your faith is not in the gurus of this world. It's not in your favorite podcast. It's not in your favorite celebrity pastor or some YouTube video that you watch. Your faith must be put fully in God for help. David has many needs, as we're going to see. And he's in distress as he's writing Psalm 25. But he begins the psalm by planting the foundation where he's going to look. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Not to my friends, not to my spouse, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my best friend, my co-workers, No, commit your soul to the hands of God. All of us come this morning and we have needs. Everybody needs help from God. There's not a single person in this room that doesn't have things that they need God to help them with. Some of you may be feeling your need for God to help more acutely than others. But every one of us has things in our lives that are distressing us and that we need God's help for. It's easy to come to church and to sing songs to him, and then you hear a sermon, 
and you pray a little bit in church, and then your mind is completely off God for the rest of the day and for the rest of the week, and you don't give him much thought until you come back here next Sunday. Maybe you need God to help you with sickness. Maybe you need help financially or with some relationships or with conflict or with your kids or your parents or at work. If you want God to help you, you need to say, God, you I trust in. You alone I trust in. You are my help. Don't say a prayer asking God for help, but then immediately finish your prayer and then act like you didn't talk to the God of the universe. Immediately go into fretting and worrying like God did not just hear you and like God cannot help you. You're lifting up your soul and your concerns to God, a heavenly Father who loves you, who sent his son to die for you, who became a curse for you, who has all the resources that you need to help you. So how foolish and insulting is it to God when you pray for him and you ask for help and then you immediately finish your prayer and then you don't act like he's going to help you. Lots of people pray, but they don't trust in God and they're not lifting their soul up to God. They may have said words asking God for help, but what their heart is saying is, I don't really believe that you can help me. Well, let's continue in verse 2. He says, Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me be not put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who untimely are treacherous. If you're younger in the faith, or maybe you live your life very cleanly, uh, having enemies of this magnitude might seem foreign to you. But it's promised throughout Scripture that you will have enemies, and it's the testimony of Christians throughout the ages that we have enemies. John 15, 19 says this, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This is Jesus telling you that the world hates you. It's not your pastor telling you that. It's not some conservative podcast radio host. This is Jesus talking. But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember, The word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The world hates you. And they will make you think that it's because of your failures. They might point to a sin that you have or a weakness that you have and say, uh, that's the reason I don't like Christians. Right? Many of you are dealing with family members who want to see you fail, do not want to see you succeed. And your enemies will try to make it seem like it's your fault. It's your fault why they hate you. But it's a smokescreen. You've heard people say, I'm okay with Jesus, I just don't like Christians. Jesus I'm good with, I really like Jesus' teachings. It's just the church that I can't get behind. It's organized religion that I just don't like. It's not true. You hate Jesus, and so therefore you hate Christians. 
and people are good at manipulating you. They make it seem like, well, it's this Christian's fault that I don't like Christians. This is what was done to me. And yes, Christians have sinned greatly against others. There is no denying that. But that's not the majority of what's going on. We all have enemies collectively in this culture. Some of you have more acutely enemies in your family, maybe at work, maybe neighbors. People are fine with Christianity as long as you just be quiet and you don't say anything in your family. As long as you don't bring anything up, you don't cause any conflict, you can just shut up and stay quiet over there. They'll be, most people will be all right with your Christianity. But some of you can't do that because you have family that you have to deal with and that you interact with and that you have to maybe either put your family at risk or say something. And when you say something, you create enemies in your own family. And so it's good to pray. It's good to pray to God and ask Him that, it, that our enemies would not succeed, not just in our culture, but the ones that we have personally. They want to exult over you. They want to put you to shame. They want to see you fall. And it's okay. It's actually good to plead with God and say, God, these people that are my enemies, they want to see me fail. Please do not let me be put to shame. In fact, God, if, if they won't repent, would you put them to open shame so that they can see me vindicated for trusting you and that the world can see that those who go against you will not stand? None who wait for the Lord, none who trust in Him will be put to shame and so the next time that your enemies are pressing near, the next time you're having a big conflict with your family, remember verse 3. Look at verse 4. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not my sins of my youth or my transgressions, according to the steadfast love, according to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. When was the last time that you really, really prayed to the Lord and you asked him, Lord, teach me your paths? Aren't many of your prayers, God, do this. God, I have this need. God, help me with this. God, I need this to work out in this situation. Give me this. Give my family this. Give my children this. Those are great things to pray for. But have you prayed recently? Lord, would you teach me your paths? Pray with your family this week. Father, would you lead us in your truth and would you teach me? I don't know the right way to go. I might have an idea. My heart can deceive me. I could easily be wrong, so would you please teach me and lead me? Verses 6 and 7 are similar to confessing sin to God each Sunday. Each Sunday we ask God to remember his mercy to us. 
And do not forget his steadfast love that has always been. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. And so when's the last time you've asked God to not remember the sins of your youth? See, sometimes Christians can be so pietistic and so we'll say things, you'll hear people say, you know, you don't need to worry about whether God has forgiven you. Of course, you already asked for forgiveness for those things. Good. Of course he's forgiven you. You know he's forgiven you. You don't need to, and it's true. Of course he has forgiven you. Some people have problems with prayers of confession each week. You know, why do we talk so poorly about ourselves? We've been forgiven. Why are we remembering our sins? Every single week we talk about how sinful we are. Shouldn't we just be focusing on how righteous we are because of Jesus? Jesus already died for those sins. Why do we come confess our sins like that and ask him to forgive us? He's already forgiven us, right? He already died for those sins, right? But meanwhile, the psalmist and any honest Christian knows that from time to time you still feel guilt over the sins of your past. Maybe you should tell David, get over it, David. Stop remembering those things. Stop focusing on them. Is that what you want to tell David? But if you're honest, you have sins from your past that pop into your mind from time to time, and you feel guilty, and you feel terrible. They're shameful. You wish you could go back and change how you acted. The drunkenness, the words that you said, the anger, the immorality, the terrible act. Yes, some of you have things that you need to confess to your pastors and your elders. And yes, we should trust the forgiveness of Christ. And there can come a point and when your life is just so consumed with guilt of sins from the past that you do need to remember and trust in the forgiveness of God. But that doesn't change the fact that if you're honest, from time to time, sins that you know you've been forgiven for pop back into your head. And you forget the mercy of God. And so it's good to ask God to, remember, to not remember them and to help you remember his mercy to you. Well, David takes a break from asking things. And then he starts praising God again in, in verse 8. And he says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. Yes, you're a sinner. But the good news is that God instructs sinners in the way that they should go. And if you'll humble yourself and you'll realize you're a sinner who needs help, well, good. You fit the description. He will lead you in what is right and teaches the humble his way. An older translation says, He will guide the poor in judgment and he will teach the poor his way. Are you not poor in judgment? When you've been in charge of your life, have you not made poor judgments? Wouldn't you rather have God lead you 
in the way that you should go instead of you lead you in the way that you should go? How has it worked out for you when you have led your way and decided where you should go? Well, then come to him humbly. Father, I am poor in judgment, so can you please direct me? I hope you'll read Psalm 25, at least by yourself, but maybe with your family this week, and pray these things together. Verse 10 says, All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. And for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Pardon my guilt, for it is great, he says. It's important to remember, verse 11, it says, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt. Not just for my sake, not just because I want to be vindicated before my enemies. It's not just for my sake, but I want you to not remember the sins of my youth, not the sins that I committed this week, for your sake, O Lord. God, I want to see people know how good and great you are. So will you pardon my guilt? Pardon me of my crimes. We desire God to do good to us, to protect us from our enemies and to be merciful to us and to not remember our sins. For our sake, of course. But also, primarily, so that God may be glorified in our lives. We talk about how are you going to glorify God in your life. You know, one of the biggest ways that you glorify God is that he forgives your sins. That is the clearest way that God glorifies himself through you. Is he takes somebody as awful as us, and he washes us clean. Verse 12 says, Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way he should choose. The youth group memorized Matthew 10.28, and I would encourage all of you to memorize it, um, because it's an important verse, especially for those living in a hostile culture to Christ. It says in Matthew 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So don't fear man, fear God. Don't be afraid of what the world can do to you. The worst that they can do is they could kill your body. That's the worst. But fear God more than you fear man, and he will instruct you in the way that ye should choose. In youth group, we talked a little bit about what it means to fear God, and, and this could be a whole sermon in itself, but we'll talk real quickly of what it means to fear with God. Some people want to make it just mean we respect God. We respect the authority that he has. Similar to how you respect a boss and the authority that they have or someone else who has some authority over you. And there is certainly respect in fearing God. But there's also real fear in fearing God. I realize that none of us had perfect parents. None of us are perfect parents. We have tons of failures as parents. Some of you have better fathers and mothers than others. But I want you to think about, many of us had some sort of parent in our lives that we did not want to cross. 
might have been your mom, might have been your grandmother, might have been your grandfather, it might have been your dad. But you would not want to cross them. You would not just disobey them right in front of their face. Of course, you might have done it behind their back, but if they found out, you had fear. Right? You would never disobey deliberately to their face because you knew that the discipline and the punishment would come if you did. You feared your father. You knew he loved you, but you wouldn't dare cross him. My kids feared their dad. (laughs) They do. But that doesn't mean that they also don't feel loved by their dad. And that doesn't mean that they don't argue about who gets to sit next to dad when we watch a movie. When we disobey, there's genuine fear. And the world hates that idea. The world hates that a, parent, that a kid would ever fear their parent. It just seems awful. Yes, of course, a mother or father can be abusive with their discipline, but for crying out loud, think of Scripture. Think of Isaiah in the throne room. Terrified. Almost any time an angel appears in Scripture... What is the response from the person that sees the angel? Almost every single time, they are terrified. And that's not even God. Okay, the angels, we just sang about this, the angels can't even look at God. And yet, when man sees an angel, they're terrified. When Peter and James and John are on the mountain and Jesus is transfigured, they hear the voice of God. And it says they they fell on their faces and they were terrified. If we were somehow transported into the throne room, there is not one person here who would not be on their face before God. Because of His holiness. And yet there is not a being in this entire world who you would feel safer with than with Jesus. And so if you had good parents... The idea of fearing your parents, it's not strange to you because you saw their love and you saw their discipline and you understand this idea of fearing and loving and respecting and comfort that comes quick. This is a snapshot of what it means to fear God. For, other of you, for others of you, fearing God, that'll take more faith. And I understand that. But hopefully you can start thinking through how there is a fear of God that is real and is terrifying. But there is also a love and comfort that is existing as a child of God. God should be the most terrifying being. And he should also be the one you feel safest and most comfort from. And that is the mystery of the fear of God. And that is why... Proverbs says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Because it's so foundation, so foundational. The person who fears God will also feel loved by God. And the person who fears and loves God will trust God to obey.
Verse 13 says, His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The blessings of following God, they're not just spiritual blessings, okay? They're not. They're not just for this life to come. You don't just obey God and put your sin to death here on earth just so that in heaven, just so you can get these spiritual blessings in heaven. Yes, we do. Yes, we look forward to that. Yes, we look forward to treasures in heaven, but there's real blessing that God gives to his people here. And he does it differently for each of his children. Paul says something similar in 1 Timothy 4. He says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. The benefits of following God are for this life and for the life to come. And I'll read this quote from Calvin. It's a little long, but I'll try to go back over it here in a moment to summarize it. Calvin says this, to The sum, the sum is, that those who truly serve God are not only blessed to spiritual things, but are also blessed by him to their condition in the present life. It is indeed true that God does not always deal with them according to their desires and that the blessings which they would wish do not always flow in a certain and uniform manner. On the contrary, it also often happens that they are tossed with sickness and trouble whilst the wicked enjoy prosperity. But we must know that as often as God withdraws his blessing from his own people, It is for the purpose of awakening them to the sense of their condition and discovering to them how far removed they still are from the perfect fear of God. And yet, in so far as it is expedient for them, they now enjoy the blessings of God so that in comparison to worldly men and the despisers of God, they are truly happy and blessed because even in their greatest poverty, they never lose the assurance that God is present with them. So he's saying, God blesses us spiritually, but he also blesses us physically in this present life. God doesn't always give you or give us what we desire or in the time that we would like it. It's not uniform across the way, so he might bless the woos differently than he blesses the semsprots. It's not uniform. And in fact, we often see the wicked prospering and we're left with sickness or troubles. And so we're tempted to think, well, that doesn't really seem like blessing. The wicked are prospering. We're left with these trials. We're left with this sickness. But Calvin says, no, hold on. When God does seem to withdraw blessing from you, It is for the purpose of awakening your sense of condition so that you'll see how far away you're removed from the perfect fear of God. So you'll see, hey, I I need God way more than I realize I need God. And that will lead you to know God more and to experience actual blessings the more that you long for Him. Many of you have gone through terrible trials, hard sickness, but almost everyone on the outside of those things, on the back end of those things, can say, I felt closest to God in the midst of those things.
And it's true for my life. When I think of the times that I felt closest to the Lord, it's been the hardest times of my life. And this is what God is doing. This will lead you to know that you need God more and experience the actual blessing of God more as you long for Him and need Him. And so that compared to the worldly man who's prospering, he looks like he's prospering, compared to that man who hates God, who seems to have it all, you'll actually learn how to be truly happy in this life and in the life to come. Even in your greatest poverty. That man who seems to have it all, he doesn't have it all. He's confused. He has no hope. He has no confidence of what's going to come. He's not satisfied. Sure, he might seem like he has everything he needs, but he doesn't have what he actually wants. And God might be letting you go through something hard, but it's so that you'll actually be happy and actually be fulfilled in this life and in the life to come. Look at verse 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known... What an odd thing to say. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, the mystery of the fear of God, and he makes known to them his covenant... My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. They bring me out, bring me out of my distress. You may be lonely. You may be afflicted. Your troubles may seem massive this morning. But David isn't losing faith, as we'll see in the next few verses. And I would encourage you not to either. If you're distressed, if you're lonely, make sure you're telling God. Many times we sit in our distress and we don't make it known to God. He knows. But make sure you're calling to Him and telling Him. Psalm 34 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and He saves the crushed in spirit. So many times we stay in our distressed state because we just won't go to God. We try to fix it ourselves. We try to help ourselves. We don't tell him. We don't ask for help. But I realize that many of you are distressed, and you do go to God for help, and you still feel distressed. But be reminded this morning by Psalm 34 that the Lord is near to you, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Be encouraged that David felt this way. You're not a bad person for feeling this way. You're not faithless because you feel this way. But trust in God and place your faith in Him like David does. Look at, look at the end, how he thinks of the Lord and waits for the Lord. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of his troubles. David is waiting for God. He is asking God to consider his affliction and his trouble and to consider his enemies and how they hate him and to protect him and to deliver him and to not put him to shame because he takes refuge in God. He waits for God. And even though he's lonely... Even though he has all these troubles, he waits for God and he trusts in God. And so, 
Let me remind you, church, what I reminded us at the beginning of the sermon. If you're going to pray to God, and you're going to pray these things in Psalm 25, you must really trust Him, and you must actually go to Him. You must actually lift your soul up to Him. You may not do it half-heartedly, but give yourself to Him. We all have issues. We all have enemies. We feel lonely. We all have afflictions. But you must really go to God and ask for help. No halfing it, no saying a quick prayer, and then pretending like God didn't hear you or isn't going to act. Have faith that He hears you, that He will act, that these things in Psalm 25 are true of your life just as they were true of David's, and He will take care of you. Let's stand for prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess that we often try to go through this life with you just kind of there riding along in our sidecar at best. Maybe asking you for help here or there, but not letting you lead us or be in charge of our lives. Treating you like you're a a genie, and we can rub the bottle when we need some help and could ask you to grant some wishes, but not letting you be the Lord of our lives, be in charge of us, not being humble that we are poor in judgment and that we need your help. Forgive us for this, Father. Help us be humble. Help us really trust you. Help us know that when we pray and call out to the God of heaven, that you are listening to us, that you care for us, and that you will answer, and that these things in Psalm 25 will be true of us. That you will not remember the sins of our youth, that you will have mercy, that you will consider our afflictions, that you will not let us be put to shame. Father, thank you that no matter what we're going through, we can call to you and you will answer. We praise you in Jesus' name for this. Amen.